and welcome to today's podcast, uh, the series entitled Where's My Career? Uh, I'm Pete Smith, Director for the Centre of Disability Employment Research and Practice. And today, our very special guest will be David Mank. David is the is Professor Emeritus at Indiana University. Um, he is, I'm just trying to do two things at once, um, he's formerly the Director of the Indiana Institute on Disability and Community Indiana University. Uh, David has joined us uh, before I got through the intro. And good morning, Please. David. Good morning to you. Tech works again for us. <laughs> Indeed. David, it's, um, I might continue reading the, uh, your bio. I think it's, um, it's worth people understanding your extensive history and um, your con contributions to our field. Um, Sure. As a writer, Dr. Mank has an extensive background in the education and employment of persons with disabilities. He has authored or co-authored dozens of articles and book chapters. His interests also include transition from school to work and community living. David has worked on issues related to competitive, integrated employment with people with significant disabilities for many years. His work has included developing the first freestanding supported employment program in Oregon, McKenzie personal systems. Mackenzie was originally incorporated as a not-for-profit organisation by David and two women who had daughters with developmental disabilities. He has worked on provider transformation from sheltered workshops to competitive integrated employment in a number of states across the USA and a number of other countries. He has emphasised capacity building to develop integrated employment outcomes at the local level. Is also assisted in developing employment-related data systems in a number of states. Uh, he is frequently requested to present at leadership institutes. In addition, he has been a frequent participant in policy development and analysis at the state and national levels. He has assisted states and local communities develop, implement models for transition from school to work with disabilities. David is a member of the editorial boards of the Research and Practice for Persons with Severe Disabilities, the uh, TASH, uh, the Journal of Vocational Rehabilitation, Journal of Developmental, sorry, Disability Policy Studies. He's also the Associate Editor for the Journal Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. In January 2015, David was appointed by the US Secretary of Labor to the Advisory, Advisory Committee on Increasing Competitive Integrated Employment for Individuals with Disabilities, uh, which was created uh, in the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act. He was subsequently elected Chair of the Committee which delivered its final report and recommendations to the Secretary of Labor and Congress in September 2016. I should take a breath after that. David, lovely to have you here. Uh, <laughs> happy, after happy, to happy to join you, Peter, and uh, I look forward to the discussion. Excellent. David, um, one of the, well, the topics that I wanted to work with you today is obviously your, your considerable expertise in the area of of leadership and organisational change. And that obviously is the challenge of our time and probably even more challenging under the circumstances we exist under today. Um, so one of the things that, that is often missing out of the employment processes that I see is that organisations think delivering integrated employment is simply a matter of training a whole lot of staff and just letting them go. Um, and my experience is that that's a falsehood. Well, I would certainly agree. It's like, well, training is important, um, 
but leading with a mission and a focus on outcomes um, matters a great deal because um, you know we've known for a long time that simply providing training without any kind of follow-up or leadership is not going to work. And, you know, what we've often seen is that it's it's also a matter of mentoring after people have had training. Right, and often one of the things that we see is that um, providers think that that offering an integrated system of em, of, em, uh, of employment support settings, like where we're using now discovery and customized employment model, that they think it's simply an add-on to their business. Um, organizations sometimes seem to behave in that way, uh, but I think that's, that's uh, again, where leadership asks the question, what really is the mission of the organization and what do we need to do to move in that direction rather than simply uh, think we're adding a service because it's a different value base uh, and that's uh, that's got to be discussed and developed rather than um, thinking you can add integrated employment and therefore everything must be okay in your organization. Right, so it's that, you know, it's a, probably a little bit the idea that, well, you know, we're doing this, so we've done the training, so therefore we're delivering uh, a service that'll deliver those sort of outcomes that we're looking for, but but clearly that doesn't work, and, and we've seen this another a number of examples where organisations have simply said, hey, train our staff and we'll be right. Um, they're not prepared to make that real investment in creating uh, a leadership platform that supports um, the use of uh, these types of methodologies. Well, and in addition to that, sometimes, you know, directors or uh, management in an organization will send people to certain kinds of training, but then they don't necessarily understand what they've been trained to do. Um, and it's a little hard to lead when you don't know what someone is trying to accomplish with with the specific methodologies. And so I think it's important. Um, uh, two points for um, management or directors. Um, one is um, learn what they're learning um, in order to um, uh, support them in doing it, uh, and be willing to listen to them. Um, because they've gone through the training and have learned something and you can, as a manager, you can learn from them as well because they're the people that are going to be doing it every day. Right. And that points to some certain attributes that we'd be wanting from our leaders in, in organizations. Um, you know, and in your experience, what's the sort of things that you look for in leaders where integrated employment systems have been successfully uh, developed and run? Well, the first two things, um, first is clarity of mission. Um, and has, has the discussion happened at all levels in the organization from the board of directors uh, to including the direct support professionals and the employment consultants um, so that there's a deep understanding of the mission. And, you know, while, you know, sometimes people may say we're spending too much time wordsmithing a mission, uh, the purpose of the discussion in wordsmithing is to make sure there's a deep understanding in the organization. Uh, so I think I think good leaders uh, know that if people are clear about their mission, then they know which direction they should be going at all times. And I think the second, particularly related to employment, is um, clarity about accountability for outcomes. Um, we know how to count this, and we've got to be clear that outcomes matter. Right, and obviously at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about uh, achieving those employment outcomes. Um, and 
often what we see in organisations uh, today is that, you, you know, you talked about management needs to understand what's going on, but often we see management are not prepared to provide the time for the staff to really um, practice the skills that they've learned. I mean, and that's a common barrier that we see. Um, so how do you go about addressing that? We're short of sort of grabbing hold of management and whacking them around the head. Well, you know, I've seen instances in the states, uh, in particular, um, where uh, you know we, in some cases, I was involved in it. In other cases, I just witnessed um, training and technical assistance groups that would organize uh, training and discussions with with leaders, with management, with executive directors, and and you know hold two day sessions to talk about how do we run this. You know, how do we lead our, um, our staff? Um, you know, how do we keep people mission-driven and accomplishment-focused? Uh, so I think, you know, often in any organization, public sector or private sector, you know, people that are good at what they do uh, get promoted, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, but being a good employment consultant doesn't mean uh, that you're going to be a natural to be a leader or a manager of some kind. And that takes work as well. So I think it's important to invest in in the management um, as well as uh, the employment consultants. Right. And, that, and I guess while you're investing in, in management to get them so they understand the what they need to put in place to support the staff, what about the organisation itself? I mean, we're talking really about culture change and, and often that's a, a pretty big topic in organisations and something that's, that regularly is a struggle for organisations. So have you seen anything, you know, I'm not looking for a magic bullet, of course, because there isn't one, but what, do you, what have you seen in organisations that have successfully managed this, this cultural change to delivering a, a true open employment experience? Well, uh, um, it's a big question, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's too simple to say it takes good leadership. It, it yeah. takes, um, you know, uh, constant uh, um, uh, attention uh, to the culture and support of, of your people. I know, you know, I had, um, um, I don't know, 65, 70 staff when I was running the uh, university center at Indiana University. And one thing I sort of knew all along, but until I articulated it to myself, I didn't realize how important it was. And what I realized and started to articulate is that if I want this organization to be successful, if I want to be successful as a director, it will only be successful if the people that report to me are highly successful. So I need to spend my time supporting their success in delivering what their mission is. Um, and while that may seem very simple, it was uh, almost an aha moment in, well into my career. Right. Okay. <laughs> so we're still all learning, aren't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, to so, the, uh, the, the, the culture change, I was um, in a conversation just today with a, a gentleman that was part of the leadership in integrated employment in the state of Tennessee. And they were uh, engaging, oh, well, 10 years ago now, in, in be beginning to raise the question of um, provider transformation, organizational transformation from segregated services to integrated employment. And they began initially with, of course, the willing the two or three organizations that listen long enough to 
um, you know, go back to their organizations and start the discussions about change and transformation. And they brought in uh, outside uh, subject matter experts from other states initially with those two or three. And as that started to show some success, they, they adjusted their approach. And they uh, worked with those initial two, three, four, five transformative organizations and paid them to begin to work with other providers in Tennessee. And he was telling me how powerful it was to have Tennessee providers uh, supporting and mentoring other Tennessee providers, that it was, it was better received when it was people who understood who they were in that state. Right, so it, it starts to illustrate the the power of that peer network um, that shows them this, this is our lived experience and then often uh, our near-death experiences that we've had and survived and that they learn from from that. Um, so in in countries such as Australia, which is a you know a, obviously the size of America with the population of, of Los Angeles, we don't have that opportunity in terms of significant local experiences so how would you address that in a in a society that's sparsely populated uh sparsely populated um <laughs> and, when and when travel is difficult yes yeah. <laughs> well um r right now one of our best tools is uh, zoom of course um, but even with the distance and uh, the difficulty in travel uh, you know i think we are learning something about you know, virtual supports, communication, and learning. And I, I, I take that methodology and add in an, an older idea, which is getting leadership together uh, to discuss such things uh, and, and help them watch them learn from each other. The state of Washington over the years has had a series of what they've called emerging leaders forums. Uh, now, they haven't taken those into a virtual space yet, uh, but the point was clear, um, for leaders to gather, to listen to each other's stories, talk about how things are, are led and run, uh, and, and you know, bring in some outside speakers, but have it largely be discussions among them about how to do this th these things well. Right, and, and we do a similar thing here every year in our, in our annual retreat, um, which is simply a, a collection of people that are uh, engaged in the process. Generally, they're leaders, um, and we they sit for three days in a lovely setting and talk. And, and I'm, you know, I'm going to be honest enough to say that I've I've ripped it off after experiencing Carrie Griffin's rendezvous. It was that <laughs> process of sitting around for a few days with people that are trying to pursue. Uh, the same thing at varying degrees of success is actually quite empowering. Well, and you've witnessed that at, at things like the rendezvous and the learning that goes on, you know, much of it with each other as opposed to uh, being trained in some fashion. Yeah, it's that incidental learning that, that is conversation that you can have that, that maybe you don't uh, get to have at conferences, although having said that, uh, when I go to conferences, I'm only interested in the conversations rather than most of the, the um, big speakers. So it's probably slapping out all of us on the face saying that. But those conversations are very powerful. Um, and I think that's probably one of the lessons that we've, we've or one of the areas we tend to ignore is we actually don't take those conversations and make them available to people. 
Well, um, I, if you will make that confession, I will confess that uh, there have been many conferences where I spent more time in the hallway than I did in the uh, meeting rooms uh, for just those reasons to get into uh, good discussions with, um, with people I thought um, would, know, would know things and do things in a way that I could learn from. Absolutely. So, David, let me ask you another leading question. Where do organizations get it wrong? I think organizations get it wrong if they think that integrated employment is an add-on and that they will be just fine with um, a dual mission. Um, right. I think uh, because then it's it's not clear what your mission really is. Uh, if you're trying to say we we think sheltered employment and in integrated employment are fine. Um, you haven't had the deepest conversation. So I think um, that's a way to get it wrong. I think a second way to get it wrong is is to not spend the time and the work to make sure you can figure it out financially, you know, which is another whole leadership area of saying we, we, we can't simply expect that if we reassign a few staff that we're going to be successful. This has financial implications that needs to be very carefully planned. Right, because obviously, you know, as we go through this process, we're moving from what effectively is one system to another system, or, or you can argue sheltered to um, to open. There is a big cost, and there is a big risk involved in that, and and sometimes it's it's potentially difficult to put a figure on that. Um, and so, you know, I think from my perspective. Uh, generally, it's going to cost you money to go down that path, but if you stay the journey, then the investment reaps significant rewards at the other end, and that's difficult to quantify sometimes. It is difficult to quantify, uh, but it needs to be planned, and it will be. It will have costs that are more than day to day. You know, I think a third way that people uh, uh, get it wrong um, is uh, being tied to a billing structure that rewards activity rather than accomplishment. Um, and, it, and thinking of services, if I deliver the services, I'll get paid, even if I'm not getting people jobs very often. Uh, and that's a trap of, of thinking, well, I just need to be billing for the hours as opposed to getting the accomplishment of employment outcomes. Right. But you see a lot of employment systems globally, they, they focus on activities because they're very much a compliance exercise rather than an outcome. And you could almost argue that the employment outcome is secondary to the to the process uh, where they generate the larger amounts of their money. Uh, and, and obviously when you have organisations that are built on that type of structure, shifting them to something that's outcomes-based uh, is probably quite terrifying. Uh, do you see a remedy that? Another big question, support, David. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's you know, it, it, it's mentoring. It's uh, having you know colleagues and peers that you trust. You know, it's um, um, being willing to say, "I don't understand how to do this," um, and look for the right kind of assistance and help. I mean, one of the byproducts of um, you know directors getting together, and having intense leadership discussions, is you know, you you make friends. Uh, and, 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 and people that you know that you can pick up the telephone and call and say, let, let me talk about this issue for 15 minutes and then let's discuss it uh, because I'm stumped. 
but it takes a bit of humility and and good relationships to be willing to pick up that phone and say, I've got a problem, and I'd rather not um, um, totally play out the problem inside my organization. Uh, I'd like to talk to a peer who understands my role um, and can help me see through it. But you know, it takes a little bit of courage to pick up the phone and say, I'm having a problem, and I don't see past it right now. Right, and that that points to the the um, some of the the evidence that suggests that having a uh, a good mentor that you can lean on and have those private discussions is is a vital component of success of any organisation. And and you know, as you alluded to, it's very important in what we do. Uh, we found actually that. Uh, one of the outcomes of our retreat was that people that attended the retreat connected to people, and then post retreat they started to develop these these peer group uh, relationships where they talk all the yeah. time, um, which is a phenomenal outcome. As a matter of fact, I'd almost argue that it, that's the real outcome you're looking for. Yeah, uh, it it is, and I think you know the responsibility of you know people like you and me is to help make sure those kind of uh, events happen in order for those relationships uh, to develop over the over the years of your work um and doing this transformation and leadership work and and you know you are an acknowledged um subject matter on leadership um when i look at this i often wonder wonder what are the traps you know what are the things that that we can take from from the failures as much as the successes and have you seen any particular set of traps that are recur all the time? Well, I think um, leaders that seem to behave as if the title means you're a leader. Um, because it doesn't say anything about leadership. It's simply a title that you're uh, in a position of some authority. And when people seem to feel like, if I've arrived at this position, then I must be a leader. Um, is a falsehood uh, because um, having the title um, uh, doesn't guarantee anything. I think another way that people go wrong is when they don't um, truly invest in their people um, and, and think that because I sent them to training, they'll be fine, or because I was clear what their job description was, they must be doing it, um, and, and failing to understand that this is a week-by-week -week mentoring discussion supporting uh, sort of, of thing as well. I think another place where I see um, uh, a related problem is when um, uh, leaders don't support and invest in their staff enough that they see high turnover. And when they start seeing high turnover, they feel like, well, I don't want to invest too much in the next five people because they'll probably leave also. It's like, well, wait a minute. The way to get them to not leave is to support them so thoroughly that they're, um, they're they they want to be here and they feel respected for, in the work that they're doing, and they feel like they can come with problems and leave with better ideas to do their job uh, better. Right. Um, what, what, that's a really interesting one because one of the things that that you know we see with the integration of uh, customized employment into organizations, for instance, is that significant numbers of the staff leave very quickly after the training or during the training. As a matter of fact, uh, I've had people come up to me on the first day of training and go, thank you very much. I finally worked out 
um, what I want to do and it isn't this, so I'm going to leave. I really appreciate the training. <laughs> and, and I actually sit, sit stand there and, th- and go, okay, thank you, and then think to myself, how do I explain this to their boss? Um, but, yeah. but I think that's a really interesting, to me, that's one of the illustrations that, that if you're doing this correctly, the people that are working for you, the ones that really have the, the values that you're looking for will stay and those that question their values potentially will lead, which I think is actually a, a significant leadership outcome. Uh, it is. And, you know, the uh, getting better and better at how you hire. Uh, yes, you know, there are difficulties in the wages that we can pay. Um, and that's a problem that I think, you know, in leadership discussions at another level, um, we need to be addressing. At the same time, you know, there's an old adage that says um, people don't quit jobs, people quit people. Um, and even when the pay's not great, sometimes if you feel respected, if you feel successful, um, if you can see a path to doing a job for two years, five years, um, and, and I th- again, I think it's respect and being helped to be successful, people will stay longer. But the values base coming in, there's no substitute for that as well. Yeah, that sounds, starts to sound like our job, <laughs> yeah. doing it more for passion than money. Um, yeah. You know, David, when it, you, you, in your little bio that you sent me, you emphasize capacity building to deliver integrated employment. And I know we've talked about that. But I, I wonder about the, uh, the capacity building on the other side, which is in the employment base, the potential employers. Uh, what would you suggest as, a, as, as the leadership strategy where we need to make that investment in employers? In employers. Um, well, at a community level, um, it's, it's becoming um, a member of the business community as well as the nonprofit and the disability community. Um, there's a lot of power at the local level in so many places of those weekly, sometimes monthly, community groups, business groups, community leaders that get together um, to share experiences, learn what's going on in their community. You know, that's the place to build the relationships with with employers and other community leaders so that they see you as a contributor to the broader community and not a single issue. You know, if I only want to talk to you if you will hire someone with a disability. I think showing participation in the broader community issues, which is what they're doing. You know, they may own a paint store, but they're showing up at the Chamber of Commerce or the Business and Industry Group because they care about their community and they know if I'm a good member in this community group, when people need paint, they're going to think of me first. So right. similarly, if, we, if, if we're good members of our community at that level, uh, then people start to understand our mission and start to value it. Right. This, and this goes to the idea that, you know, one of the things I commonly see is, is when I go into communities and talk to the uh, employers about uh, providers, often they sort of, they go, oh, I kind of heard of them, but I don't know what they do, or that's the place down the end of the road where all the people on the bus go. It, right. it illustrates that whilst we might think we're part of the community, the reality is the community doesn't even know we exist. Well, and, you know, one, one simple strategy for that, and this can happen in, you know, communities large and small. You know, I know you have highly urban settings and you have some very, very remote 
and in small communities as well, is when you have successfully uh, helped someone get and keep a job and you know the employer is happy, find out what community groups they participate in and start to go there because now you're, you're in the room with people you don't know very well, but you're there with someone that understands what you do. So when you raise the topic, you've got someone to say, and my experience is this. Right. And and today where we have this situation, this, this I'm going to call it unique, but it's probably not um, the right word, but the situation where where we're all been locked at home for, for quite a few months, but more importantly, we have employers that have gone through near-death experiences and the likelihood of them wanting to employ anybody is is going to be um, a difficult proposition, let alone employing someone that has a barrier. So that starts to illustrate that that our approach to to delivering employment services is going to have to change to to work with, I guess, a different set of values that employers will hold going forward. Well, one thing I'm hopeful about in that regard is, you know, 20 years ago, you you didn't, you know, we didn't see, you didn't see in Australia, all that many people in typical businesses where you could say, oh, I see, they employ people with disabilities. You'd have, you, you had to look for it if you were just walking down the street or in and out of businesses, et cetera, or companies. It's much more common today um, that um, the average employer will notice that someone with a disability is working uh, for um, you know, another business, et cetera. And so the, what I'm hopeful about is that as companies do start bringing people back, that they don't think in terms of disability or not disability, they think about the people that already work for them. And so they're not bringing back the, those people with disabilities, they're bringing back um, Joe and Carol because they know Joe and Carol. Yeah, and I think that's probably, you know, I mean, to me that's, that, that, that's what it should be, uh, the idea of, of bringing someone back because they have this, that or the other barrier is, is in, to be honest, in, in a supposedly aligned society, somewhat repugnant. So it illustrates the value of relationships. Um, and you talked about going into the community to different community groups. That Again, that reinforces the idea that if you want to deliver employment services and lead a successful employment service organization, you have to be building relationships at multiple levels. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's required. Um, I can't imagine a successful organization where the leadership uh, doesn't invest in those outside um, relationships because what those outside relationships are, if you're a leader that takes the time to develop those, is, is you're not just getting to know people, you're developing new resources that can assist you because those relationships are resources. Right. And, and in a funny sort of way, it's almost the old, the networking thing and using the multiple degrees of separation and and basically putting a face to that. Mm -hmm. And putting your face, a face to that. And also realizing that, um, you know, having a um, confidence in your own mission to know that you're bringing something to this, these other relationships that they may not have, uh, that you're adding value to the community and they need to see you as a resource as well. But that takes confidence in who you are. Right. 
which again points to one a, a characteristic that that we have to foster the development of in leaders that that capacity to go out there and and confidently be a member of the community and talk about your mission and, and for people to learn um, the value of that mission and also to understand your passion in that mission right when we we look at it David uh, we look at where where we've come from and where we're going. Um, do you have any thoughts on on potentially what's over the horizon in the development of, of disability employment? It's well, crystal ball time, David. It, 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 it's crystal ball time. Uh, I, uh, you know, I well, uh, there's some things to avoid and some things to do. Uh, one is as um, community, states, nations plan ahead and you know pass additional legislation or make additional um, government moves to try to open up um, commerce again to make sure that we're at the table in order to make sure there are provisions that attend to disadvantaged groups um, rather than I mean, in the states <clears throat> we've seen the initial legislation that was passed <clears throat> uh, sort of had the attitude of yes disability we understand that you're there we'll get to you later and I think we, we weren't sufficiently at the table to be a part of the discussion in how that would roll out. So I think it's incumbent on us to make sure we're at that discussion in order to say there are multiple disadvantaged groups in these situations. Um, uh, the disability community is only one. So let's talk about that and make sure that uh, we're that other disadvantaged groups aren't left behind and certainly people with disabilities aren't left behind. Um, you know, I think the, the, the next thing we're going to need to do is to collect a new baseline because at this point we don't know what the damage is. We've got reports all over the place in, in the U.S. about how many people with disabilities actually are still working because they were in jobs that were considered essential jobs. The truth is we don't know. Um, and we're going to have to find that out. How many people were furloughed? Will be brought back? How many people are still working? I've uh, heard of some agencies that have said uh, as many as half of their individuals that they were supporting were still working, even wow. through the crisis because they were in essential jobs. So we're going to have to get the new data and figure out where are we at this point in time and then ask the questions about, um, what does a what does a reasonable pace look like, uh, you know, based on financial projections uh, for uh, how is employment going to come back? What does it look like? What kinds of jobs are going to come back first? And that you know that takes you know good leaders are looking at the data, you know, not just the disability data, but their community and employment and state data that says okay these kinds of jobs are going to come back sooner than those kinds of jobs. What do we know about those industries? What relationships do we have in those industries in order to be present in those industries as they open uh, back up? But I think, it, it, again, it's going to take some confidence that um, the world has learned, our societies have learned enough and seen enough people with disabilities in the workforce that it's no longer treated as a nice thing for employers to do, that we've done a good enough job of of helping people get in the right jobs so that employers valued their work. And if employers valued their work, then we have more equal footing than we would otherwise. 
Right. You, you made an interesting point there about understanding what jobs are going to come back. And one of the things that we've looked at for a number of years in the process of discovery is that we felt there was a gap there. And that gap was around understanding where the labour market was going so that you don't pursue employment in industries that are dying. You know, the idea if we're going to pursue a career, then whatever a person's vocational themes might look like, it should be married to an industry that's growing rather than an industry that's dying. And you just you just highlighted that and it becomes critical now uh, when you know we've had this experience in the community of significant businesses closing. I mean, what's going to come back? But more importantly, where's the growth going to be? And that's only going to come about by understanding the data around where are the jobs being created in the future. Well, in the... Um, um one thing that alarms me to some extent is, you know, the vast, the clear majority, a vast majority of, of people work um, in the U.S. at least in small businesses, um, and it, many small businesses will no longer exist in six months. And what does that mean about employment opportunities? And what does that mean about small business in our communities? And and then. Downstream, of course, our conversation of uh, for jobs that there will be, how do we position ourselves and people with disabilities to have a, a good chance at those jobs? But the small business problem worries me a great deal. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we, we recognize that small and, and medium business, and when I say medium business, I say business up to about 20 employees has been the, the bedrock of employment opportunities and those businesses um, have you know, obviously for many of them, they, as you said, they won't come back, um, which then raises the issue that around what does the employment opportunities look like if we've lost potentially half of our of what used to be the the source of employment. I mean, for me, that becomes one of the primary challenges of leadership in organisations is is to understand where the community is going and where we're going to have to to look for those employment opportunities because obviously we, if we halve the number of businesses and double the number of unemployed, um, if you have a barrier to employment, you really slid down the pole a long way in those set of circumstances. Well, and leaders that will be successful will realize, I have to relearn this. Um, I need more information. I need to pay attention to what's going on around me in the, in the community, in the economy. I need to learn more about it in order to be successful in getting jobs for people with disabilities, and you know, which comes back to one of those notions of, you know, good leaders know they have to continuously learn. Right, which means you've got to get out and walk around your community and know your community, which goes to that what you just mentioned earlier on about being part of those community networks. Um, and I would see that that you know when people say to me, oh, you know, I've got to. Um, I've got a bit of free time every now and then and I do this at work and I, my advice is actually get in your car and go and walk down the street. Well, and the other thing that's going to be important is to be incredibly alert for, for new, new ideas that people are trying, for new best practices that start to emerge, to constantly listening for, looking for, is, are other people that do the work that we do, are we seeing innovations uh, pop up? And, you know, I want to be one of the first people to notice those innovations around the, around the world, to say, aha, there's an approach that has promise. 
Uh, but right. we're going to need to notice those things and be alert for them. Right. And I think that goes to the idea that you really need to connect to as many potential sources, uh, reliable sources as possible to c continuously educate and read. And and I, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not just speaking for myself, I get about uh, eight or nine different newsletters from different organisations every day, uh, which come in the dead of the night. Um, yeah. And they provide fascinating insights and some of them are useful, but gee, a lot of them have, have little light bulbs in them. I'll put in a plug for a couple of publications that over the years I've found incredibly helpful. There's a magazine called Wired, um, and it's about innovations and technology and a lot of things in business. And there's another magazine called Fast Company, oh, yeah. uh, which is a great read always about uh, truly innovations in companies. You know, right. from human resources to technology to finance to, you know, political implications. I mean, just they're 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 really stimulating. And I, right. know, you know, they these would come in my office a lot, and people would say, "What are you doing reading that stuff?" I said, "These, this is where the hotbed of innovation and ideas are." Right, because this is where the little seeds of the future are. Some may succeed, some won't, but at least you're actually looking at over the horizon rather than looking what behind you so absolutely that's that's uh, excellent advice um yeah. yeah i absolutely love that i mean i i from my perspective as a leader i read um obviously things from different um organizations like the brooks institute and the big consulting firms and these people that are actually working with large organizations and uh, they tend to come up with some really interesting observations often those things that look like they only apply in a big organisation actually have quite interesting little seeds in them that you can use down at, at the ground level with the small and micro businesses. Well, there's a point where, you know, being, um, um, you know, smart about how you run an organisation, you know, there's a point where it, bigger is just a matter of scale. Um, that's, the principles um, will apply at many levels often. Right. So... You've given us some really fascinating insights today, David, into leadership. If you had to lead, if someone said to me, what's the one thing I need to understand as a leader, what would that be? Another crystal uh, ball question. No, no, no what, you would, what, you would, what you would need to uh, understand is yourself. Right. Uh, that's being authentic. That's, uh, yeah, and to assess, you know, what am I good at, what am I not so good at? and be willing to um, learn what you need to learn and surround yourself with people, uh, many of whom are better at, at some things than you are, which is also, uh, I think, key to good leadership, uh, to not be afraid to have people that are better at things, at some things than you around you and not be threatened by that. Brilliant. David, that's a tough set for a lot of leaders. Well, it is, yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I think, you know, I've, um, it might sound corny to say this, but I think one of the things I got out of my thesis was that I realized I didn't know anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm always wary of people to say they know everything. I was like, no, you've just stopped learning. So I think that's, well, you know. One of the things I like to tell people, and, it's, and actually this is, some, this is often true, you know, I'll be in a group of people and, uh, and I'll say, look, when I'm in a group like this, uh, where I know there are a lot of people smarter than me, I'm going to stick to the questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very true, very true. Well, David, 
it's been brilliant to have you uh, online and in, in this discussion. It's um, you know your contributions to the field of, of disability employment have been um, countless, and and you rightly earned your position as as one of the I would suggest one of the leaders and founding fathers and and great people in our field. Uh, thank you for your time today. Um, it's been brilliant. Well, thank you, Peter, and thank you for your leadership um, and, and continuing in the years ahead. Uh, it makes a difference, and it's a pleasure to talk to you, and I hope to actually see you uh, someday uh, again. When we can get out of our houses, I'll, I'll be coming to see you, David. Yes. <laughs> thank you, All David. Right. Sounds time. good. Bye-bye. Thanks, David. Bye-bye.